Chapter Two of Anything You Can Do by Randall Garrett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Anything You Can Do, Chapter Two. Wang Kulichenko pulled the collar of his uniform coat up closer around his ears and pulled the helmet and face mask down a bit. It was only early October but here in the tundra country the wind had a tendency to be chill and biting in the morning, even at this time of year. Within a week or so he'd have to start using the power-pack on his horse to electrically warm his protective clothing and the horse's wrappings, but there was no necessity for that yet. He smiled a little, as he always did when he thought of his grandfather's remarks about such no-fangled nonsense. Your ancestors, son of mine, he would say, conquered the tundra and lived upon it for thousands of years without the need of such womanish things. Are there no men any more? Are there none who can face nature alone and unafraid without the aid of artifices that bring softness? But Wang Kulichenko noticed, though out of politeness he never pointed it out that the old man never failed to take advantage of the electric warmth of the house, when the short days came and the snow blew across the country like fine white sand. And Grandfather never complained about the lights or the television or the hot water, except to grumble occasionally that they were old and out of date, and that the mail-order catalogue showed that much better models were available in Vladivostok and Wang would remind the old man, very gently, that a paper forest ranger only made so much money, and that there would have to be more saving before such things could be bought. He did not, ever, remind the old man that he, Wang, was stretching a point to keep his grandfather on the payroll as an assistant. Wang Kulichenko patted his horse's rump and urged her softly to step up her pace just a bit. He had a certain amount of territory to cover, and although he wanted to be careful in his checking, he also wanted to get home early. Around him the neatly planted forest of paper-trees spread knotty, alien branches, trying to catch the rays of the winter waning sun. Whenever Wang thought of his grandfather's remarks about his ancestors, he always wondered, as a corollary, what those same ancestors would have thought about a forest growing up here where no forest like this had ever grown before. They were called paper-trees because the bulk of their pulp was used to make paper, they were of no use whatever as lumber, and they weren't really trees, and the organic chemicals that were leached from them during the pulping process were of far more value than the paper pulp. They were mutations of a smaller plant that had been found in the temperate regions of Mars and purposely changed genetically to grow in the Siberian tundra country, where the conditions were similar to, but superior to, their natural habitat. They looked as though someone had managed to crossbreed the Joshua tree with the cypress, and then persuaded the result to grow grass instead of leaves. And the photosynthesis of those grass-like blades depended on an iron-bearing compound that was more closely related to hemoglobin than to chlorophyll, giving them a rusty red color instead of the normal green of earthly plants. In the distance Wang heard the whining of the wind increase, and he automatically pulled his coat a little tighter, 
even though he noticed no increase in the wind velocity around him. Then, as the whine became louder, he realized that it was not the wind. He turned his head toward the sound and looked up. For a long minute he watched the sky as the sound increased in volume, but he could see nothing at first. Then he caught a glimpse of motion, a dot that was hard to distinguish against the cloud-mottled gray sky. What was it? An air transport in trouble? There were two transpolar routes that passed within a few hundred miles of here, but no air transport he had ever seen made a noise like that. Normally they were so high up as to be both invisible and inaudible. Must be trouble of some sort. He reached down to the saddle-pack without taking his eyes from the moving speck and took out the radiophone. He held it to his ear and thumbed the call button insistently. Grandfather, he thought with growing irritation as the seconds passed, wake up! Come on, old dozer, rouse yourself from your dreams! At the same time he checked his wrist compass and estimated the direction of flight of the dot and its direction from him. He'd at least be able to give the airline authorities some information if the ship fell. He wished there were some way to triangulate its height, velocity, and so on, but he had no need for that kind of thing, so he hadn't the equipment. "'Yes, yes,' came a testy dry voice through the earphone. Quickly Wang gave his grandfather all the information he had on the flying thing. By now the whine had become a shrill roar and the thing in the air had become a silver-pink fish-shape. "'I think it's coming down very close to here,' Wang concluded. "'You call the authorities and let them know that one of the aircraft is in trouble. I'll see if I can be of any help here. I'll call you back later.' "'As you say,' the old man said hurriedly, he cut off. Wang was beginning to realize that the thing was a spaceship, not an airship. By this time he could see the thing more clearly. He had never actually seen a spacecraft, but he'd seen enough of them on television to know what they looked like. This one didn't look like a standard type at all, and it didn't behave like one, but it looked and behaved even less like an airship, and Wang knew enough to be aware that he did not necessarily know every type of spaceship ever built. In shape, it resembled the old rocket-propelled jobs that had been used for the first probings into space more than a century before, rather than the fat ovoids he was used to. But there were no signs of rocket exhausts, and yet the ship was very obviously slowing, so it must have an inertia drive. It was coming in much lower now, on a line north of him headed almost due east. He urged the mare forward in order to try to keep up with the craft although it was obviously traveling at several hundred miles an hour, hardly a horse's pace. Still it was slowing rapidly, very rapidly. Maybe. He kept the mare moving. The strange ship skimmed along the treetops in the distance and disappeared from sight. Then there was a thunderous crash, a tearing of wood and foliage, and a grinding, plowing sound. For a few seconds afterward there was silence, then there came a soft rumble as of water beginning to boil in some huge but distant samovar. It seemed to go on and on and on. 
and there was a bluish, fluctuating glow on the horizon. Radioactivity, Wang wondered. Surely not an atomic-powered ship without safety cutoffs in this day and age. Still, there was always the possibility that the cutoffs had failed. He pulled out his radiophone and thumbed the call button again. This time there was no delay. Yes? How are the radiator detectors behaving there, Grandfather? One moment, I shall see. There was a silence. Then, no unusual activity, young Wang. Why? Wang told him. Then he asked, Did you get hold of the air transport authorities? Yes, they have no missing aircraft, but they're checking with the space fields. The way you describe it, the thing must be a spaceship of some kind. I think so, too. I wish I had a radiation detector here, though. I'd like to know whether that thing is hot or not. It's only a couple of miles away, maybe a little more, and if that blue glow is ionization caused by radiation, it's much too close for comfort. I think any source that strong would register on our detectors here, young Wang," said the old man in his dry voice. However, I agree that it might not be the pinnacle of wisdom to approach the source too closely. Clear your mind of worry, grandfather," Wang said. I accept your words of wisdom and will go no nearer. Meanwhile, you had best put in a call to Central Headquarters Fire Control. There's going to be a blaze, if I'm any judge, unless they get here fast with plenty of fire equipment." I'll see to it," said his grandfather, cutting off. The bluish glow in the sky had quite died away by now, and the distant rumbling was fading too. And oddly enough, there was not much smoke in the distance. There was a small cloud of gray vapor that rose, streamer-like, from where the glow had been, but even that was dissipated fairly rapidly in the chill breeze. Quite obviously there would be no fire. After several more minutes of watching, he was sure of it. There couldn't have been much heat produced in the explosion, if it could really be called an explosion. Then Wang saw something moving in the trees, between himself and the spot where the ship had come down. He couldn't see quite what it was, there in the dimness under the hanging grass-like red strands from the trees, but it looked like someone crawling. "'Hello there!' he called out. "'Are you hurt?' There was no answer. Perhaps whoever it was did not understand Russian. Wang's command of English wasn't too good but he called out in that language. Still there was no answer. Whoever it was had crawled out of sight. Then he realized it couldn't be anyone crawling. No one could even have run the distance between himself and the ship in the time since it had hit, much less crawled. He frowned. A wolf then? Possibly. They weren't too common, but there were still some of them around. He unholstered the heavy pistol at his side. As he slid the barrel free, he became the first human being ever to see the Nipe. For an instant, as the Nipe came out from behind a tree fifteen feet away, Wang Kulichenko froze as he saw those four baleful violet eyes glaring at him from the snouted head. Then he jerked up his pistol to fire. He was much too late his reflexes were too slow by far. 
the knipe launched himself across the intervening space in a blur of speed that would have made a leopard seem slow. Two of the alien's hands slapped aside the weapon with a violence that broke the man's wrist, while other hands slammed at the human's skull. Wang Kulichenko hardly had time to be surprised before he died. End of chapter 2